Well, tonight we are uh, going to be talking about a very familiar passage or two of Scripture. But I want to start with a few words uh, from Joel Beakey out of the uh, Reformation Heritage Study Bible. He has an article in the back and he titled it Self-Denial. Okay? And I want to give the premise for why I want to read this. I did not read this first. I read it after I had come up with the understanding that we need more self-denial. Amen. That not only is self-denial not something that is, uh, it's not optional. Amen. Self-denial is not an option that you can pick up or lay down in the Christian life. Self-denial is fundamentally part of being a Christian. It's not something that I might do every once in a while. It's not something that I just do when I feel like it. Self-denial is something that Jesus, in his own words, says is necessary for being his disciple. And I want to go back to a few passages of Scripture that we have read over and over on this topic. If you would turn, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Uh, I would, I'll, I'll read 22 to start. Saying, uh, or verse 21, let's start there. He straightly charged them and commanded them to tell no man that thing. Who? That, that he had healed them, right? He told them, hey, don't tell them I'm the Messiah, right? And then verse 22, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. Now, why did I pick this passage? And I'm going to focus on verse 23. But why did I pick this passage to start with? I want you to understand that as we come up to Good Friday, okay, what's Good Friday about? Good Friday is about God's plan of redemption coming to fruition in Christ, coming to its fulfillment, coming into the apex of what God has done for human beings. Amen. Now, God has demonstrated his love that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? Greater love hath no man than this, than did he lay down his life for his friends. Amen. And Jesus said, I no longer call you strangers, but I call you friends. Why? Because he already knew that he was going to go and lay his life down for the sheep. Amen. Now, there's a mystery in this, in that Jesus tells them this, that he must go to Jerusalem, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. He tells them this, right? This is the context. He's just told them, hey, don't go tell everybody I'm the Messiah because I have to go to Jerusalem. I have to be rejected. I have to be rejected by not only the, the elders, but by the chief priests and the scribes. They all must reject me. I must be slain. I must rise again, right? This is the context. And the very next verse, the very next verse, he says, And he said unto them all, If any man will come after me, 
let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever would seek to save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. This is a startling reality that Jesus is telling them he's going to go die. And then he's saying, and if you want to be my disciple, you must die. He's saying that your life will no longer be your own. You're going to lay your life down. You're going to deny yourself. You're going to take up your cross. What's my cross? My cross is to live like Christ. My cross is to deny my own self and live unto God. My cross is to say no to my flesh and say yes to God's plan for me. My goal is to say no to my carnal desires and say yes to what God's word says I should live unto, right? So how do I say no to the world? Well, I fix my eyes on things that are above. Remember, we've talked about this. All the different sermons that I've preached on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights have all culminated in this understanding that self-denial is not an option. It is absolutely a necessity to being a Christian, right? The reality of this statement, it should cause us to go, oh, no. It should cause us to say, oh, where am I at in this process, right? It should cause us to go, well, I'm not doing everything I can do. And it should cause us to repent and strive to do more. But modern Christianity doesn't even put this emphasis upon the Christian to live unto God. Remember when I, I preached a few weeks back on man's duty, man's responsibility to live unto God, right? That was the title of the message, man's responsibility to live unto God. It's our responsibility to live unto Christ. Paul said, it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. Let me break this down for you by using the words of Leonard Ravenhill. And if you haven't went back and listened to that video that I've posted on Facebook several times, it's an old man with big old glasses, and he's preaching, and he talks really funny like this. But he said something in that video that you need to hear. He said, the moment a person was put on the cross, they lost all their rights. The moment that they were up there, men could hurl insults at them. They could spit on them. They could throw excrement at them. They could do whatever they wanted to those persons because they were on the cross. And when you're on the cross, you lose all your rights. And he looked at the crowd and he said, and if you'd ever get crucified and put on that cross, you'd lose all your rights too. See, the problem is most Christians think they've still got rights. But the only right you got is to live unto Christ. That's your sole right is to live unto him. Not your, your soul your sole occupation as a Christian is to do exactly what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. This is exactly why Jesus said that we are to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Not my kingdom come 
and my will be done. Because that's how most Christians live their life. They live in such a way that they think that God is supposed to be here for them to do their bidding. And it's absolutely the other way around. We have been bought with a price. We're no longer our own. We don't, we don't even own our own self anymore. We are bond servants to Jesus Christ. And if we would truly be crucified to the world and the world would truly be crucified to us, we would understand that we don't have any other right but to do the will of him who sent me. This is what it means to deny myself, to take up my cross, and to follow him. Because the moment Jesus Christ was put on that cross, he had no rights. The, Roman, the Romans would walk by and mock him. The Jews walked by and mock him. They hurled insults at him. They mixed uh, 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 vinegar and, and put it on a sponge and stuck it in his mouth. Come down from the cross. You saved others. Now save yourself. Aren't you the Messiah? Aren't you the king of Israel? Save yourself. Show us a miracle. In the midst of having no rights, Jesus, had he been one of us, so often would we have found ourselves to be the thief that hurled insults back at Christ. Because so many of us say this when trouble comes. Well, I don't deserve this. So many of us feel like, well, I've been faithful to God. What's wrong? Why, why am I having to suffer? Do you understand that the apostles longed to see suffering so that they could glorify God in the midst of it? And modern Christians think they have some right to bypass suffering. They think they have some right to bypass hardship. They think they have some right to just never, ever have uh, a problem again. Most of these feelings are selfish reasons and come from their own will and their own desire to see their own plan accomplished. When we understand that we're no longer our own, that we have been bought with a price, why is it that we can't look right in the midst of suffering and say, Lord, if it's, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, your will be done. You see, that's the heart of someone who's born again. The heart of someone who is born again, they hate sin. They hate their own sin. You see, my problem with, with American Christianity, with modern Christianity, is they have this aversion to say, oh, well, you know, uh, 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 God loves us and, and, and he understands our sin. Yes, and that should scare the hell out of you. God does love you, and God does know your sin, and God knows your heart. God knows how wickedly, desperately,
inherently evil you are without him. God knows the dangers of sin. God knows what it's going to take to get you over sin and away from sin. You see, the difference between a born-again believer and somebody who's just trifling in the words of, in the words of uh, Leonard Ravenhill, he said, those who, who want to, to live Christian lives and claim Christianity without being crucified to the world, without and all they want is to, to get their sins forgiven. They don't want to change. They don't want to do anything else. He said those people are just trifling with Christianity. They're not crucified with Christ. They're not born again. They're just trifling with Christianity. I fear we have a whole generation of people that that's all they're really doing is they're a Christian in name only. They're Christian in title only. They're Christian because mom and dad went to church. They're not Christian because they really are born again. And the, what they're really crucified to the world and the world's really crucified to them. You see, anyone that follows Jesus, he says, if a man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life will lose it, and whosoever loses his life for my sake, the same shall save it. Do you understand that to be in Christ is to die with Christ in his death unto sin? And to live in Christ is to be raised to new life in the resurrecting power of Jesus Christ who has given us new life who's given us an opportunity to walk in newness of life because any man that's in Christ is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Well, not everybody's perfect, Pastor. You're right. But the difference between a born-again Christian, and I want you to mark this. I want you to mark what I'm saying. The difference between a born-again Christian and somebody that's just a Christian in name only can be boiled down to one simple thing, their view of sin. If someone says they're a Christian, yet does not see the behavior that the Bible says is sinful, is sinful, they don't know Christ. Because the born-again heart looks at God's word and says, Oh dear God, I do this. And they loathe the fact that they do this. They are beset with agony over their own sin. And they hate the fact that they have harmed God. That they have wronged God. That they have sinned against God. It troubles them. But the person that's just trifling with God. Who says, oh, I'm a Christian. Yet you can find all manner of sin in their life and there's not a hint of repentance. There's not a hint of, uh, 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 of anguish that they're sinning. There's not a hint of, of, of repentant attitude about their own sin. I fear that that person may not even know Christ. I fear that that person may, may someday get to the judgment when all of us are there and they cry out, Lord, Lord, that he's going to look at them and say, I never knew you. You want to go back to, to, to Matthew 7? He says, in that day many will say unto me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not 
cast out demons in your names? Did we not do many wonderful works in your name? And he's going to say, depart from me, you who work iniquity. I never knew you. Because it's not those who just say, Lord, Lord, but those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. You see, the born-again heart, although the body may fail and although we may, we may walk in, in error and make mistakes in our flesh, our spirit will be striving after holiness. We'll look at our own sin as something to be loathed. And we will look at sin as God looks at sin. And we won't look at sin to justify our own sin. But we will go to Christ with our sin. He said, brothers, I write these things unto you that you would not sin. John 1, right? 1 John. He says, I write these things unto you that you would not sin. 1 John 1, uh, chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. Brethren, I write these things unto you that you would not sin. But if any of you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father. When Jesus Christ, the righteous. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. You see, the person that is just trifling with God, who's not really taking up their cross, who's not really following him, they will look at their sin and go, there's nothing wrong with that. God's okay with that. No, we look at sin and we look at sin exactly the way God looks at sin. And when I see sin in my life as a born-again believer, I go to my bed, I shut the door in my prayer closet, and I say, God, forgive me that I'm walking in error to your word, to your law. Luke 9.23 really doesn't give us this emphasis, though, that it's it's. A necessity. It just says that uh, if any man come to me, come after me, let him deny himself. Some people go, well, see, it just says let him. It, it means it's optional. No, because if you read the next verse, he says, whoever will save his life will lose it. You see, part of the cross that we have to take up is living righteously before a nation that condemns living righteously. You see, it's standing up for what God's word says about marriage, about the family, about men and women, about gender, about the family structure, about the church structure, about what God says is sin, uh, adultery, fornication, uh, uh, lustfulness. You know, so many people are like, well, I'm not an adulterer, are you not? Jesus said, if you look at a woman to lust after in your heart, you've already committed adultery, and you're guilty of it. Sin is not just sin that your hands perform, but it's sin that your heart and your mind performs. And generally, if your heart and your mind are bent on sin, your hands and feet will follow. Turn with me, if you will, to Luke 14. Oh, somebody didn't turn their phone off. Man, man, man. Luke chapter 14. And I think I'm going to read from verse 25. Luke 14, verse 25. And there went a great multitude with him 
And he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. See, this is the emphasis that Luke is putting here, that Jesus' own words, he's saying, you can't be my disciple. Now, if you want the transverse of this, this a lot of people have a real uh, uh, aversion to this uh, verse because he says, if you don't hate your father, mother, sister, and brother. There's another verse in Matthew that's identical to this, except for he says, if you love anyone more than me, your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, if you love them more than me, you're not worthy of being my disciple. That's what he says in Matthew. You understand? The emphasis here is you can't love anything in your life more than Christ. And if you are loving anything else more than Christ, you are committing idolatry and you should be on your face in repentance before God. Verse 27, he reiterates this statement and says, whoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And he says, you can't be my disciple if you are not willing to die to yourself. If it's all about you, your will, your plan, your wants, your needs, because I am telling you, I've been at prayer meetings, okay? And many of our prayer meetings at church sound nothing like what Jesus told us to pray for. And actually, they sound so much like what Jesus told us not to pray for. He said, take no thought for what you're going to eat. Take no thought for what you're going to wear. Take no thought. Your heavenly Father knows you have need of these things, right? So what does our prayer life generally consist of, especially at church prayer meetings? Most of the time at church prayer meetings, it sounds like this. Oh, Lord, I know, we're, I know I'm bad and I'm a sinner, God, but God, can you please help me with my light bill? God, can you please uh, give me uh, uh, prosperity? Can you please heal me, God? Can you please take care of my needs, God? Can you take me and I and me and my? But when Jesus teaches them to pray, he starts out and says, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done. Why? Because Jesus is trying to teach us in the Lord's Prayer that it's not about us. That my will doesn't matter. It's God's will that matters. It's not my needs that matter. It's what has God put me here to do for him. And so often we're concerned about material things that we forget. Jesus does make room for this in the Lord's Prayer. He says, give us this day our daily bread. In other words, take care of the needs that I have today and I'm going to trust you, God, that you're going to do it. And then the last half of the Lord's Prayer, which we hardly 
ever pray about our own sin or our sin against others or their sin against us. We hardly ever pray for those who sin against us. We, we rarely even think of those people. And if we do, it's, Lord, will you help them to see that they're all messed up and they need you and they're, they're wrong? Instead of saying, God, forgive me of my sins. Help those who've trespassed against me. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation. When's the last time you said, Lord, I know that I'm a fouled up human being that has a tendency to want to do my own thing and go my own way and make sure my will is accomplished. So today, God, can you help me in my pursuit of Christ? Help me, Lord, to stay away from temptation. Lead me not in the path of temptation. Take me out of the, take me out of the path that will lead me down the road of temptation. Do you understand that temptation is always tempting your will? Let no man say when he's tempted that God is tempting him, but every man is tempted when he's led away by his own lustful desires. Every man. And those lusts, those desires, those temptations come from my will. They come from my fallen nature. They come from the fact that I'm all about me. And that's why the prayer starts out with hollowing who God is. And understanding that I need his, his kingdom to come in my life. His will to be done in my life. And I should be praying earnestly that God would lead me out of the path of temptation. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What evil? The world, the flesh, and the devil. All of these are evil. My sinful nature is evil. That old man that still resides in this flesh, this warring that I have where my spirit wants to love God and serve God with all my mind, heart, and soul, but my flesh wants to fulfill all of its own desires. And I got a warring in here. Are you at war or are you just sitting by being an innocent bystander acting as if God's just going to win this war for you. Because the person that thinks that the mortification of sin is only on God and not on you is not reading their Bible and not being faithful what the scripture says because Paul says, you mortify the deeds of the flesh. Yes, we do it through the Spirit. Yes, it's impossible to do without God's help. But brother and sister, if you're not fighting, I'm very worried about you. Because it shows me that you're not in this prayer life like we should be. Understanding that it's not my will, but his will that should be done. I want to end with a few words from Joel Beakey here. But I want to read the last verse that I had in context here. Verse 33. He says, so likewise... Whosoever he be of you that forsakes.
forsaketh not all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. He says it three times in three different ways and makes you understand you can't love anybody else more than me or you can't be my disciple. You can't follow me. If you're not willing to die to yourself to take up your cross and follow me, to be crucified to the world and the world to be crucified to you. If you're not willing to do that, you cannot be my disciple. You can't follow me. If you're not willing to forsake all that you have, if you're not willing to count it all as loss, if you're not willing to, to, to lay down what you think and how you think sh things should go and how you desire for them to go, if you're not willing to lay those down, if you're not willing, now look here, I'm going to say it like I mean it, okay? The reality is there's a lot of people that say I follow Christ, but there's a lot of people that when they say they follow Christ, there's no fruit and evidence that they're actually striving after Christ or striving after holiness or striving after the things of God. And it's those people I'm seriously, seriously concerned about. No, going to church doesn't make you more saved. But going to church and having a desire to be around other believers shows a fruitful heart that's running after Christ. No, you don't have to read your Bible. It ain't going to make you any more saved. But I'm going to tell you, the fact that you're in your Bible all the time and you're reading and you're studying and you're searching and you're seeking shows me that you're striving after Christ and you're running after Him, that you're following Him. No, praying, praying ain't going to make you any more saved. That's true. But I'm telling you right now, there's not a Christian in the Bible. Jesus himself, the Lord of our salvation, prayed. And if you think you as a Christian don't have any need of prayer, and prayer is so meaningless and it's, it's, it's optional, you've got another thing coming. And the fact that you don't desire to seek God, the fact that you don't desire to be alone with God, to be in communion with God, shows me that you are not seeking and striving and running after Christ. When are we going to understand that self-denial is not optional? It's an absolute requirement of being a Christian. Now I got through all that. I want to go back here to this article. And I might just read pretty much the whole thing because Joel Beakey had a really good article in here. I might just hit the highlights, okay? Self-denial is one of the defining elements of the followers of Christ. The Lord Jesus states in Luke 9, 23, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Self-denial is an absolute requirement. If there is no self-denial, there is no follow. There is no following Christ. Without self-denial, there is no following Christ. Since self-denial is so important, it is vital that we know what it really is and how, it, how to really do it. What is Christian self-denial? Christ demands denying anything in our lives that opposes full faith in and obedience to his word. 
That's what self-denial looks like for the Christian. We oppose and deny anything that will keep us from walking in full faith and in full obedience to God's word. As Thomas Watson points out, there are times when a Christian must deny his appetites, his ease, his finances, even his life. Yet what is the core of self-denial? The Scottish preacher Ebenezer Erskine and James Fisher give a simple, accurate description of self-denial in their assemblies, short catechism explained. They describe self-denial as giving up three things in particular. First, self-wisdom. Being wise in our own eyes. We give up self-wisdom when we are made to see our own depraved reason is to be... We, we, excuse me, let me start over. When we are made to see our own depraved reason to be but folly when compared to the wisdom of God revealed in his word. And he references 1 Corinthians 3, 19. The second thing that we are to give up is self-will. Self-will is given up when God's will of precept becomes the sole rule of our heart and our life. Psalm 119, verse 105. And his will of providence is cheerfully acquiesced in as the best for us. Romans 8, 28. The third thing that must be given up is self-righteousness. In giving up self-righteousness, we submit to the righteousness of God or found our plea from eternal life wholly and entirely upon the meritous obedience and sanctification or satisfaction, excuse me, of Christ as our surety in our room and in our stead. How do we practice self-denial? Three truths are helpful in remembering how we strive by God's grace to deny ourselves, give up self-wisdom, self-will, and self-righteousness. First, we find help when we remember that we only deny ourselves by the Spirit's power. By His regenerating power, the Spirit shows us the foolishness of our own wisdom and the lack of righteousness that we have. He reveals our wisdom to be in the person and the work of Jesus Christ alone. He works in us the desire to deny ourselves and follow him. Philippians 2.13. Now I want to stop right here. Because this is the point. It says that he works this desire in us. Beloved, how does he work the desire in us? When you're born again, if you're truly born again, you're going to have a desire to want to live for God. And if there is a serious lack of desire in your heart to live for God, you should question the fact that you are born again. You should question and run to the cross. You should run to the altar. You should get on your face before God and say, God, I want you. You should pray and seek God and read his word and pray some more and seek God some more until there's a desire in your heart that you be formed in Christ. Because it's not about you or what you want. 
Christ works in us this desire and applies the righteousness, uh, excuse me, the Spirit works in us this desire and applies the righteousness of Christ to us. When we are tempted to despair at our failure to deny ourselves, we have the sure strength of the Spirit of Christ to encourage us. How does he encourage us? First of all, how do we build ourselves up in our most holy faith? Pray in the Holy Ghost. How, how does faith come? By hearing, by the hearing, hearing by the word of God. How do I encourage myself? How do I build myself up in prayer and in God's word? Finally, he says this. We find help in prayer. Prayer demands that we give up self-wisdom, self-will, and self-righteousness. Praying to our Father which art in heaven, confessing his name to be hallowed, and asking him to lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, requires that we set aside our own wisdom and trust in his. Further, there is no room for self-wisdom when we are asking thy will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we confess Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Lastly, it is impossible to be self-righteous when truly asking God to forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. When you are struggling with self-denial, particularly with a sin you struggle with habitually, pray. God will answer your prayer and you will be strengthened by his wisdom, his will, and his righteousness. And third and finally, if we would deny ourselves, we must Focus on Christ. It is hard to do any difficult task without uh, if we forget the reason for which we are doing it. The same principle is true of self-denial. We have no strength if we are not looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Further, our Lord says in John 15, 4, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except ye abide in me in the vine. No man, no more can ye, ex uh, excuse me, except ye abide in me. John 15 and 5, without me, you can do nothing. We must never forget that Jesus calls us to deny ourselves in the context of following him. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Now, was that article worth it? The reality of the Christian life is self-denial. Leonard Ravenhill in the sermon that I'm telling you to go watch, and it's only like 10 minutes long, if that. It's like maybe 8 minutes long. He says, the fundamental Christian virtue, in his opinion, is not success. It's sacrifice. You are to sacrifice just as Christ sacrificed. You are to deny yourself and live unto God to do good unto others as you would have them do unto you. You are to love one another, not just each other, not just your friends, but you to love your enemies, to pray for them to despitefully use and persecute you. Those who speak evil of you, you're to let them see your good works so that they glorify your Father in heaven. And if you're not living unto God and you're not striving to follow Christ, God will not receive any glory from your life. Not in a positive sense.
I fear that he will only get glory from your life in a negative sense when he judges you and condemns you justly because you haven't truly been born again. This should stagger us. This should cause us to be on our face and pray not only for our own self, but pray for our children and pray for our community, to pray for those who we know that claim to be Christians, yet we don't see any evidence in their life. Self-denial. Why is it so important? We're coming up on Good Friday where Jesus, who, though he was God, Thought it, and thought it not robbery to be called equal with God, humbled himself as a servant. Humbled himself even to the death of the cross. Why? Because he didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He said, I leave you an example that you should follow. And then he tells them how to follow. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. And follow me. Whatever God brings in your life, wherever he's leading you, whatever he's wanting to do with you, are you willing to let God do it? Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the time that we have here tonight, God. Thank you for this message that you have so emboldened in me, God, that I would preach as lovingly and as forcefully and as passionately as I could, God. Not to be seen, not to, to, to win the praise of men, God, but that the truth of your word would be expounded upon. That those who may be sleeping and slumbering and and wayward in their Christian walk, God, would be shaken to new life and shaken awake. Those who are dead in their trespasses and sin, even though they think they are righteous, that they would be awakened to new life. That they would hear your word tonight and believe. Lord, would we all that we would deny ourselves Take up our crosses and follow you. Help us in this endeavor. We know we are feeble and it is impossible for us to do without you. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.